Welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast. Welcome, guys, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Matt Slarchuk and Peter Fendero. Welcome, guys. Um, This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics one conversation at a time. How are you doing today, Peter? I'm doing great. Have my coffee. It's noon, a little late on schedule, but it's okay. Couldn't sleep, but it's okay. Yeah. Welcome, guys, to the show. For anybody that's listening, thank you, guys. Give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, whatever you guys are listening to. Those that are on YouTube, thank you. Subscribe. Ring the bell there. Comment. Um, We hang out on the comment section afterwards the show to kind of interact with the audience, so check that out. And we're going to be creating more little shorter videos for anybody that's on YouTube, it's gonna it's gonna be like tutorials and a lot of specific topics. So definitely don't miss out on that. Yeah, we're gonna try and get into a sim lab and maybe like Matt said, go over some tutorials and and how to do certain things like ng tube and search and things like that. But we'll see how that works out. We gotta reach out to some hospitals and see if we can use our sim labs. And I really want to stick an ng tube down Peter's nose, so I'm just waiting for that moment. Um, hey, we can wait all you want, but I call it rectal tube. <laughs> that would hurt. You know the hey. little balloon thing that goes in. Oh, hey, it's what the fans want. You know. We'll see. Do it. If there's enough people, I mean, I'll, I'll do it for the fans. <laughs> Noted. Noted. So today we're going to talk about healthcare, um, how essentially it's a, just a multi-billion dollar business. And for this upcoming election, Bernie Sanders might be the guy that could solve this healthcare issue. And also we're going to talk about how there's evidence on optimism linking to longer and better sleep. Yeah. I mean, optimism is key to optimal you know, mental growth and just mental health and just health in general. We all are vulnerable to those days where, you know, we're not very optimistic. We have those those bad days, which is which is okay. But in the long run, if you're more, more optimistic, you do have longer and more restful sleep. And unfortunately, as you get older, I feel like you are less, less optimistic because you just have nothing to look forward to. You're looking towards disease, hospital visits, and dying, unfortunately. It sucks. Yeah, work piles up. You know, you have kids, it's stressful. The stress adds on as, as you age. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times we don't know how to cope with it or deal with it. Um, but being more op- optimistic does at least give you better rest and sleep. Definitely. And what is your viewpoint on healthcare, Pete? Um, healthcare, I feel like in the United States, um, it's very privatized. We don't have lots of regulations going on here. Um, a lot of countries, as we see on the news, they are switching over to more of like a one player system where it's almost government run and maybe it's probably time for us to switch over to that sooner than later it just costs are kind of out of out of control for the most part and even though with Obamacare did open the market an insurance market for a greater audience but it didn't really tackle any of its costs people are still overpaying for for insurance and it's just such a costly thing in, in America and it's just for our health you know something that we're almost granted you know by you know by our creators just like people are saying that healthcare should be a human right. We all should have accessibility to it, not where you have to be on insurances plan and things like that. And, you know, later on, we're going to touch about healthcare itself and like just really look at like the root cause of what's going on and like dive deep to see how hospitals are making money, how like big pharma is making money. It's um it's a business, unfortunately, and it's sad that, you know, we, we're to the front line and we care for patients and it sucks that people above us and these head of hospitals, they don't have the same opinion about it. And it's just money, man. It's numbers. And if, you know, things aren't acting up, we got to cut costs and do stuff to make money. Yep, it's crazy. Our, our health is a business. You know, we pay for things. It's all business. It's all just to make money. Yeah. 
Let's bounce into the current health news today. So today we're going to talk about how optimism is linked to longer and better sleep. So according um, according to the Central Disease of Prevention, Control and the Prevention, in 2016, they came out a statistic that one in three Americans, adult adults, failed to get adequate sleep, and it's escalating the risks of chronic disease. And as we know, link uh, sleep is one of those number one personal care things that we should prioritize, and we don't. I feel like if you got to get, you know, shit done in your day, you're going to sacrifice sleep. It's very true. A lot of times we're going to bed late and we already, we had so much to do today where it's dragging on to the next day where we go to sleep at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And then we also are so forward thinking that we have so much to do the next day. We, a lot of times we wake up early too. So instead of sleeping from, from 10 to, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, we, we sleep from what, two o'clock in the morning till six, you sleep for four hours, you get up because you want to finish your day off earlier than the night before. That or like sometimes you're thinking about so much you have to do or so much that you did. You have insomnia, you get a little anxious and you just have all these racing thoughts. Everybody has them and you just can't fall asleep. And then you keep tossing and turning. You tell Alexa to play some random music that doesn't work out. Hopefully she doesn't turn on right now. <laughs> and it's it's a bad cycle, man. And we have to prioritize sleep. Yeah, it's, it's hard because like you were saying before, it's just so much that we have to do today and tomorrow and then the next day where a lot of times we feel like we've playing catch up every day, every day, every day. And we're catching up on the work we got to do during the day, which means we need more more daylight and more time to work. And then again, at the end of the day, we're trying to sleep, trying to catch up on sleep and we're cutting, you know, our sleep schedule by one or two hours. And that that has shown in the long run to be unhealthy. Yep. And as people uh, like expect, they want you to stay at work late and come in early, you know, while, while the CEOs or, the, or whoever, you know, is running the show comes in whenever they want because they don't have a schedule. You have your own schedule, so you always want to do more. So you have less for the next day, but you never seem to catch up. Yeah. And then your sleep's also paying for it as well. Definitely. So this study, um, it took 3,500 people, ages 32 to 51. And the study study sample, people from Birmingham, Alabama, Oakland, California, Chicago, and um, Minnesota. So these participants had like a little survey, 10-item survey, and they were, they were ranked on a five-point scale about how optimistic you feel about your future or how and then they had you know a survey that showed a very negative response of i hardly expect things goes uh, go my way um they ended up doing different sleep studies so these people came in on two different occasions a year apart over the weekend they did sleep um, sleep monitoring on them and just seeing how they do um, they rated the overall sleep um, they also checked the quality the duration from the month prior and all took all this into um, consideration and the results were pretty interesting. So 75% of um, 75% people were more likely to have better sleep, less insomnia and less daytime sleepiness if they were more optimistic. So the results are optimism equals better sleep. That's pretty drastic. What if it's, what if it's um, like flipped around? What if more sleep leads to better or more optimism. I'm sure there's like a study out there. I'm, I'm sure they're both correlated, but definitely you being optimistic about the future leads to less stress, which yeah. stress we know is bad. And then being optimistic, I feel like it just makes your life easier, to be honest. Yeah, it makes sense. If you're optimistic as an individual, that means you probably get done whatever you have to get done that day, and you probably go to sleep happy. And if you go to sleep happy, instead of being stressed or angry or having your mind race, 
you fall asleep quicker, you fall asleep easier, and then you sleep longer. Just because, like you said, because you're, you're optimistic. That, that, that makes, like, legit sense. If you go to sleep happy, you know, and with everything being okay that you you did that day, you're going to sleep better because you have that peace of mind. And then also, like, the law of attraction. If you're, if you have, like, a negative outpoint, um, outlook on your future, then everything around you will start becoming more negative everything will start affecting you that little thing pissed you off and everything is just like one of those domino effects so i feel like when you're optimistic for some reason the universe just brings positive in your life in a way and everything just seems to be working out even if it's not working out you make peace with it and you just move forward you know what i mean yeah just a just a sheer optimism is is provides more benefit than being negative like think about it, you, you go to the club or, or you go somewhere um, you know, you see like a pretty girl and you, you approach her and talk to her and you get shot down, you know, an optimistic person would view it as like, you know, it's whatever, it's, it's a game of numbers. You know, if I don't get this one, I'll get the next one. You know, compared to someone's negative, be like, oh man, you know, it's my, my only chance. And then they, call, they go home alone and sad, you know, compared to like we said, an optimistic person that's going to keep trying and have a good, good viewpoint. It's the same outcome, but just the way you look at it. You know, you look at it either one as it's negative and it's always going to be like that. Or a positive way where this just happens. That's how it works, and you just gotta keep gotta keep trying. Couldn't have a setter better myself. Peter right here was <laughs> here uh, his past career. He was a pickup artist, so he yeah. knows the, the game of numbers. Yeah, about a about a senatorial. All those those videos that we talk about on YouTube, you know, or is that Patreon? Some yeah. private private coaching or something. Yeah, Peter's gonna do private coaching. Um, he's gonna have a little secret cam in his shirt, and he's just gonna be showing you guys how it's done out there. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know what the proof of writing in that for my girlfriend's going to be, but I can probably tell you it's going to be zero. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> Dalai Lama had an interesting um, quote, and he said, choose to be optimistic, it feels better. And it makes exact sense, you know, based on the study. And um, what do you guys think why optimism is linked to better health out- outcomes? So comment on IG or Facebook or drop a YouTube comment, guys. And um, I'm curious to see what people think. Yeah. You want to touch on healthcare now? Let's do so, it. Yeah, so you guys know that election is coming up in 2020. Be- before we start, we should let you guys know this might be a little bit dry. We'll try to make it fun, but we promise you guys, if you guys sit through this episode, you guys will learn a lot about healthcare. Yeah. So you guys know that elections are coming up in 2020, and the Democratic Party has different viewpoints on what the healthcare system reform, reform should be. But before I talk about that, um, when we hear the word bankruptcy, a lot of times we associate that with somebody with like poor credit, someone that doesn't know how to manage money very well. But actually, since 2007, the number one reason for bankruptcy is due to medical expenses. Medical expenses. So our healthcare and the cost of healthcare is so expensive that people are literally going bankrupt. They're mortgaging their house. They don't have enough money and no way to pay for their, you know their medical expenses, which is which is really which is insane. You know, it's I feel like it's not talked about a lot. Like I said before, a lot of times when you say bankruptcy or, or someone that's bankrupt, it means they have they're poor managing money. Yeah. But the truth really is what's causing people to be bankrupt is the sheer expense of, of healthcare. Those hospital costs, cost of medications, and that's all ties into, into this one giant, you know, hole that, that people get lost into. Do you know the statistic on the amount of percentage of people that are getting bankrupted because of healthcare? It's in the 30s, 30s or 40 percent, 30 out of all bankruptcies. Yeah, wow, you know, that's pretty crazy. And it might even up, be up to 60. So it depends. I looked at a few articles, and some said 30, some said 40, and like one or two said, said 60, which is which is insane. And there's multiple ways of getting bankrupt, but medical expenses is number one. 
And it's interesting because some people, like let's just say you're type 1 diabetic and you can't afford insulin, like these people think that using less insulin and injecting themselves with less units because they could hold over that insulin will last longer is saving money, but it's really ruining your health. And a lot of people don't realize that. And then they come in the hospital, you know, we're chopping off toes and, you know, metatarsal, you know, below the knee amputations because the sugar literally, you know, ruined their nerves and everything else. Yeah. So why is healthcare so expensive here in the United States? Well, the United States spends more than any other country on healthcare. In 2017, it was $2.5 trillion uh, went into, into healthcare. And in 2020, it's, they're predicting to be in between 6 and $10 trillion. So in 2017, it was about 10000 per person that they spent on or spent on, on, on healthcare. And we have suboptimal results. Like we're like 11th in the world with our healthcare outcomes and just our healthcare system. Compared to, com- compared to countries that are spending half of that are, you know, are like fifth, third, fourth. I believe the site number two uh, country with the best healthcare, I think it's like, um, I don't know if it's Switzerland or, or Sweden. It's like a smaller country, but they spent like 8,000 compared to our 10,000. And, and, and they have better outcomes than, than us, which is, I mean, if you think about it, it's a smaller country, so it's easier to, to deal with compared to the U.S. But you would think with all the money that we're spending and throwing into healthcare, we'd get, you know, optimal results. You know, we're, we're paying a, a pretty penny, a, a high premium for all this healthcare, and we're not even like top 10 in the world, which is, which is pretty breathtaking. Um, another reason why it's so expensive is administrative costs. So we don't have a one-player system. So each health network has their own way of doing things, and just the communication between these health networks costs money. Each health network has a different way to do payroll, um, different way they do, they do billing, um, their privacy and security within these systems also varies be- between them. Like my hospital has a different system than yours. You know, even the charting is different. But charting isn't really that big of a deal because it's easily implemented. But the fact that the administrative costs are so big with communication between our hospitals and sending my information to your hospital is just, just so costly because there's no bridge between them. And it, ha- and it happens so often when you yeah. get a patient from a different you know um, hospital that we've never taken care of and the doctor is like, well, what's going on with this guy? What's his history? What, what kind of tests have he done because right. why should I do a CT scan if he had got a CT scan done two weeks ago and he had surgery at, let's just say, Good Sam, and now he's at Christ, right? Exactly. So those are all because of universal health care, because there isn't universal health care, like we're eating up all these costs, just like you said, for all these administrative issues. Right, and we have all these health systems, and patient usually comes with what? A paper chart. You know, they have a stack of paper information that's not even in the, in the computer. And physicians look, look it over and they end up running the same test on them, on them anyways. Um, another reason why it's so expensive is Americans, they go to hospital before they would see a doctor. So that's like another issue with prevention. A lot of times we give poor education and people don't really want to see a doctor. They think health is something that should be tackled once it arises. So instead of me checking my blood pressure now, I'm just going to you know deal with it whenever I get a heart attack or like, like a stroke. You know, when things get bad, that's when people tend to see a doctor, but that's when it's too late. They got to go to the hospital, usually the emergency room. Yeah, we, we in America have neglected prevention of, and prevention of is probably the most cost-effective treat, treatment and way to reduce healthcare costs, and we don't do it. We should we should be doing, like, free healthcare screenings. Like, we did it even for nursing school where we did, you know, free blood pressure um, checks on people yeah. and just kind of talk about blood pressure, like... That should be implemented on a big scale in America because that's going to help. And it's not done. It's all 
you know, CT scans, visits, lab tests, and oh, take a pill, and that's that's just healthcare in America, man. It's yeah. sad. It's because it's sad because there's no profit margin for it. There's no profit in prevention. Like I could be a doctor, I could tell you, hey, go on a run, and you could lose some weight, or I'll just prescribe you a pill that you pay for, and then I get like a kickback for it or a percentage of 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 that money, you know, which is which is crazy. Like someone simple like that, like hey, go on a run, change your diet. That doesn't happen. It's usually like a pill. Someday you got you got to pay for a program. You know, even like workout programs. Like people buy these workout programs and they end up not doing them and they waste their money, or they do end up doing them and then, like, it turns out that I could have probably just thought about the same thing and done done it my way and would have had the same results. Yeah, and he, also all these drugs, tests, and services that the hospital provides. All these physicians are like scared for getting sued and everything, right? So they want to like. I think they overdo things. They overtest. They over scan people. We get too much radiation, and for what? It's not necessary. But the hospital, the doctor wants to cover all the points because let's just say something happens. God forbid, he's getting the one pointed at, and they're gonna take the dent. You know, because I feel like this is like a new thing, right? Like we like to sue people for anything yeah. nowadays. It's crazy to think about. Like when you go see a doctor, a physician, like nine nine times out of a hundred. The physician has your best health in in his mind. He wants to do everything in his power so that you come out healthy and and not sick and not diseased. And it's crazy because people take advantage of that, and they take advantage of people's kindness and um, you know people's uh, need to to help and certain things like that. Where they're gonna find loopholes or they're gonna try and beat the system. Where they're gonna trick somebody into making a mistake. We're not doing something that they should have been done, and you know, then they get sued for it. Yeah, it'd be funny if you tell this little story about the Oakland guy that came in for the stroke, man. Oh, man. Yeah, the Oakland guy. So I had a patient. We were at like a stroke center for the most part for our um, trip in Oakland, our travel nursing gig. And so we had this patient. Um, he was a reverend from, I think it was Louisiana or, or somewhere. And he came in with, with strokes and symptoms, and um, he first he started having left side weakness, and then he was admitted to like a general medical surgical floor just for observation. And then he presented with like a full on stroke, facial droop, left side weakness, all that did a CT. It was, it was negative. Um, they were just unsure what's going on. So they just took him to the I- ICU. And I, I happen to have this gentleman, nice guy, but you know, I did my NIHS scale every, was I think it was every hour that I was doing it at, at that point. And you know, he, he failed all, you know, facial droop, all left side was, was, was drooped, you know, couldn't move his left hand, left leg, nothing, couldn't do anything for himself, mumbled, you know, and then six o'clock came around, you know, he had his breakfast or whatever, and all of a sudden, I want to sign myself out AMA. How that, can you sign yourself that out That means AMA? against medical advice, guys. Yeah, so he's going to sign paperwork and he wants to leave. I'm like, how are you going to sign yourself out AMA? You can't even walk, you can't even stand, you can't even move your left side. Your speech is slurred. And I mean, it was slurred. Now, now you're talking fine, but move your left side. Able to move, able to move everything. Stands up, jolly guy. I'm like, all right. I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. Like this guy faked a stroke for like literally like 24 hours. Did he get TPA as well? He got TPA as well. Wow. Yeah, when he came into ER, I forgot to mention that, but he got TPA. And then this guy faked his whole stroke for like 24 hours, just so he could eat and just so he could have somewhere somewhere to sleep. And I kind of had a feeling that he was lying because at around like two o'clock, you know, I came in like his 
left leg was bent, left arm was bent. I think he fell asleep, you know, and, you know, subconsciously moved his right. le- left side. And I was like, all right, this is how it's going to be, whatever. I had a feeling he was faking him. That means you get the 12 hours or eight hour shift done with, and then we'll go home. And this guy, six o'clock in the morning, signs file AMA, walks out, gives me attitude. I asked him literally, hey, do you have all your belongings? Because, you know, you, you, you can leave now, your taxi's here. He's like, yeah. I'm not, he said he's not stupid. You know, he called me stupid for asking him. And then the dude forgets his check. That's so funny. Dude forgets his like $1,000 check. They're supposed to cash. Man, like this kind of, this is like, it's funny to think about. And but, this is healthcare sometimes. Right. We spend money on these people. Right. And Literally. then I, I asked my charge nurse, like, who, like who covers the cost? And I guess, cause I never had a patient, you know, walk out AMA after he just got TPN and supposedly had a stroke. And he's like, nothing, the hospital's going to cover the cost. Like, it's like, it's like shit. You know, that's pretty expensive, man. I'm not sure how much TPA costs, but I'm sure it's thousands of dollars. You know, we don't, we don't give it all the candy. Right. And this guy took out an ER, took out an ER bed, a medical surgical bed, and an ICU bed, all in with 24 hour period. And I think the average price for an ICU bed, I don't know. I think in Illinois it's like 10 grand a night. Yeah. So this guy is eating up costs. Yeah, it's insane. And then he's gonna, gonna give me attitude. Why I'm taking my time getting his paperwork together. Home, I mean, sometimes a nursing man, you just you have to laugh at the things yeah. you see because it's just the funniest thing, man. And it's funny because like I close the curtain, he got dressed, came out with a blue suit, blue suit and a white top hat. Damn. I'm like this guy, dude, Reverend, 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 right over here or whatever his name was, man. It's funny, funny guy, what a goofball. That's funny. Yeah, but it pissed me off a little bit though. Yeah. So and, na- and he came back too for that check. I wish I would have gave it to him, but I didn't give it to him. Like the one of the managers gave it to him. I was like, you feel better that that quick, huh? That's that's okay. sad. So next topic, guys, is universal health care a good idea? Because we know like the time of Obama came in, Obama care would help and enable, you know, better price cuts and deal with all these like, you know, big costs that are happening. And did it do much? I, I'm not too sure. I know it opened up the insurance market for a lot of people that signed up that are uninsured, but it didn't solve the issue of a better healthcare system, did it? Yeah, that's correct. It didn't really do anything anything to the cost or effectiveness. It just kind of signed up more people for insurance for the most part. And then they're kind of stuck paying for it. You know, the government doesn't really pay for it. Uh, so you have like all kids or, or uh, Medicaid or Medicare, things like that. But Obamacare just basically opened up the door for more people to get insurance but nothing with, like, cost for the most part. Nothing better. And is Bernie going to have, like, a different approach on things? Because you kind of did some research on that. Yeah. Well, the whole Democratic Party, for the most part, is pushing for, um, like, Medicare for all, so a single-player player system. Um, Bernie's stands out the most out of all of them, I guess. It has the most support um, on the Democratic side than um, anybody else. I think it's 14 people co-signed it. So that's a lot, you know, I guess, in the Senate. I'm not sure how the numbers work, but his is more popular than, than whoever else's. And that's kind of who his plan is basically the main plan for the Democratic Party, unless somebody else wins. Um, but I don't see that really happening. Um, but he proposes a medical system, medical care system for everybody. So the way we would pay for this is, you know, how you have like income tax and the federal and state tax your income every weekly or bi-weekly or monthly, there would be like a Medicare tax for that as well that would be taken off your check, which black people aren't happy about. But if you really think about it, you're paying a large sum for our health care anyways for insurance. You know, that money, instead of going to the insurance companies, it will go you know to the government and they would disperse it as, as they need. So it's, it's the cost, I'm sure, is going to be a little bit different for everybody. Some are going to pay more than they, than they pay now. Others will, will pay less. But that's the point of having like a government-funded, um, you know, healthcare. 
people are going to pay more, some are going to pay less, but everyone gets it. And this insurance, you know, it's you be mandated to sign up for it. Everyone's going to be signed up for it no matter what. So will it be only one insurance company? There's not going to be Blue Cross Blue Shield or will people still have private insurances? So this Medicare for all that you proposing, it's going to call, it's going to tackle like hospital costs, um, certain medications, doctor visits, all that. But you could also opt in to buy your own private insurance. So like cosmetic surgery, certain drugs, um, those you could either pay out of pocket for or you could um, buy like a another insurance to back up, you know, the government funded one, which which kind of makes sense. If as long as insurance or let's say as long as Medicare covers like the basics of, of health and hopefully it incorporates some prevention into it, I think that's going to be better than it is now because insurance is or insurance costs and healthcare costs are just ridiculous to the roof. I don't see it getting any worse. And I'm uh, to be honest, I'm willing to pay a little bit more if if I if I have to just to get like a flat rate for the next like ten years. Because every year insurance get gets um, gets increased. You always pay more every year for insurance. Medicare expenses always cost more year after year and just keeps keeps increasing, keeps inflating. That or you hear about like deductibles are increasing yeah. or now it's like my insurance doesn't cover 100%. It's 80-20. So yeah. after like, what is it? $5,000, I have to cover that 20%. It's just, it's just silly, man. Like yeah. these insurance companies are literally like manipulating little prices. You hear your healthcare system, your hospital is changing its insurances. Like what's going on? Right. Like even like when insurance figure out these costs, they're the ones doing, doing the negotiating. And each insurance does its own negotiation. Each, each company, they don't have one set price for everything there's there's no standard of of cost or or anything like that they just negotiate you know sure certain insurances are going to give you more coverage on on medication compared to certain companies are going to give you more coverage on hospitalization and there's there's no medium ground everyone just kind of does their own thing and negotiates for for themselves and with with this system the medicare for all you know there's no co-pays and no deductibles just that one flat you know weekly or monthly or or whenever your income is then you basically get, get taxed on that and and you, nowadays, there's even like, like we talked about before, there's different healthcare systems, different insurances. So I have one insurance and I can't see this physician because he doesn't accept my insurance. It's like, it's like, why? What's the difference? It's insurance. I'm insured. I'm, I'm paying for it, but he just doesn't accept it. Or sometimes you switch your jobs and the physician will basically say, I can't take you anymore yeah. because insurance changes. Yeah. So that relationship that you just created with the doctor, all the things that you know he knows you inside out in a way and like now you can't go see him because he won't take you right. like i had this issue with my grandma when she like switched like f- to like aetna from i don't know what insurance it was it's that's so sad man right medicare for all kind of breaks that gap between somebody with less quality insurance compared to somebody with higher quality insurance you could go see anybody and everybody and there's still going to be a private aspect to this um i mean i guess medical facilities are going to decide on, on how much to pay each each person or each worker or how it's going to work. But the numbers aren't really set yet or haven't been announced. It's something that, you know, you got to you gotta work with once you become president to have a full um, grasp on the situation for the most part. But, you know, if if Medicare for All offers, you know, health care for all and it's quality health care and it costs, cut costs, then, you know, why not, why not go for it? Countries like Canada has, have been doing it and it's been working out for them. You know, a lot of people complain that there is going to be a, a lot of wait time, things like that. But I feel like here in the United States, it shouldn't be that big of we, an we issue. We have the system in check, I yeah. feel like. 
feel like it shouldn't be that, that big of an issue. We have so much growth for, for medicine and technology that it's going to be, be be way more efficient here than it is everywhere else just because of all technology and the way we've been doing things. So a lot of times the private sector things will, are going to carry over to like the government sector. So definitely if you're choosing your candidate for the next election, if you're able to vote, if you're registered, make sure you choose a person that's for a better healthcare system because that's a huge issue in America right now. Yeah, people are profiting off your poor health. That's ridiculous. And there's no legit, there's no regulations. They could charge whatever they want, and no one's going to say anything. About and no it. one's going to j- people are going to jail for holding a couple grams of marijuana and yeah. stuff. And you got people that are literally profiting off sick people. And these people, we, we can't go after these people. Right. It's that's so sad, man. So next topic: prescription drugs and drug manufacturers. These guys are the real ball players here, man. These guys are making millions of dollars from us, if not trillions. So our healthcare system, our healthcare system in the United States is twice as expensive as in any other country. Why is that? And healthcare is a three million dollar, three trillion dollar system. And if you were to compare it and ranked it, it's um, it's the world's fifth largest economy. Yeah, that's crazy. According our, to Consumer Reports, right, our healthcare sector has more money than more money than than countries have in their whole country. That's crazy. Yeah, and the World Health Organization actually ranked our healthcare system based on all the statistics and whatever they do, and it was actually ranked 37. So we got this number one nation, everybody's proud to be American, we have the freaking military-industrial complex where we could just kill any freaking country like this, but we have a healthcare system that's basically fraud, man. Yeah, we pay a premium cost for a, a suboptimal system. Yeah. So I'm going to be the devil's advocate here, and I'm going to talk about Big Pharma a little bit. So the question is, is how much does it cost to develop one drug? Because it is expensive. So these pharmaceutical companies, it takes a lot of time, research, clinical trials to make a drug. On average, it takes 10 to 12 years right, to design a drug, to develop it, um, the approval for it, and to market it. So it's a long roadmap. I understand that these companies are upcharging us, but the question is, like, is it fair? So one statistic was that um, one successful drug costs up to $2.6 billion to market. And a lot of these drugs fail, right? I think over 90% sometimes don't make it. They do. That's, that's how it is. But a lot of times they have a cushion. So a lot of these drugs, since they're so expensive to make and it takes so long to create, a lot of these drugs are subsidized by the government. So the government dishes out the funds and pays for a large chunk of the research, um, which then they get back once the drug gets approved or, or hits market. And unfortunately, like you said, 90% of those drugs fail. So 90% of the time, government's not getting their money back. And once these companies create a drug that proves to be effective, they basically sell it. They have a patent for, uh, for X amount of years. They sell it, they pay the government back, and then whatever else they make off of it goes to the company itself. It's profit, and it's not controlled. It's not regulated. It's not. We don't negotiate prices. It's just yeah. so the government helps them out to get this drug in market and prove that it works, and they get no compensation. They just get the, the money back that they brought with. They don't get any kind of percentage. They don't get any kind of say on how much the drug will cost. Nothing like that. 
the company has full control of that drug. And even Bernie said that these pharmaceutical companies are spending more money on marketing and advertising, just like in our TV ads, than actually putting money into the research to develop and create a better drug for the right. future. Yeah, like you were saying, that's a drug cost two point six billion, you know, to bring to market. So they cost them that much money. Let's say they make within their first year three billion. So they made already a four hundred million dollar profit. That all goes that all goes to the company and whatever the company wants to do with it pays employees great, but there isn't a limit on how much profit they could take. There's no um, laws or or nothing that says you could only upcharge ten percent. So they could up they could bring the charge up you know hundred percent and next year they can make six billion. It's or it's twelve like, billion. It's like that company that like raised like you know the EpiPen. Mm-hmm. If you have allergic reaction, like four hundred percent. Like who's the one that's driving the pr- price margins, man? And there's no regulatory body for this, so they're able to do it, and we have to just eat up the cost, man. And AKA, these are the insurance companies. So, right. like, whether we like it or not, whether we like to admit it, our healthcare system is a business, and it's about making money. We we care about patients. The big guys up there, man, it's a it's a system, and let's like let's evaluate a few things. So let's talk about insulin. Um, the cost of insulin is skyrocketing, right? Um, and on average, a type one diabetic. The average cost in 2012 for insulin was $12,467, right? So 12.4K. In 2016, that cost went up to 18.4K. So now it's greater. Why? Did it, you know, like we have to start looking at this, like where are these, you know, prices coming up? And many individuals are stuck with insulin. And just like we talked about, they're going to give each other a smaller dose to make it last longer. And in reality, they're ruining their health and their outcomes, creating chronic problems, leading to death, rehospitalization. Like, that is sad, man. And we're forced, we're pinpointing people in this position, man. I have chills. God, man. I'm so passionate about this topic, huh? It's unbelievable. Like, to address the cost, like, you would, you would think that the more you produce a certain medication, you're gonna be able to adapt and produce more of that at greater efficiency, like like Tesla cars. You could give, for example, as like another um, like another reference. You know, they're expensive, but the cost decreases over time because as time goes on, they become more efficient. You know, they find new materials, and the car eventually gets cheaper. Same with medication. Like, how does your drug price increase from 2012 to 2016? When it's the same drug, same nothing drug. was changed yeah. or anything else. Yeah, yeah. You'd think you'd be more efficient at making it. You had a four-year time span, you would think you kind of create a machine that you could automate it or it, it's going to be... They for sure have made production of insulin more efficient. They just upcharge it because they can. Like Prop, said, there's no regulatory profit. body. Yeah, there's no regulatory They can charge whatever they want. And if they have a patent on it, no one else has a recipe, you could do whatever you want. That's messed up. No genetic, no generic brands, you know, of, of your medication at all. So yeah. you kind of you're in complete control. Yeah. Another drug to give you a perfect example, Humira. So it, it's an immu- immunosuppressant drug. It treats arth- um, arthritis, psoriasis, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis. Great drug for a lot of people. My grandma, she has issues with um, arthritis. She takes Humira injection. Her joints feel better and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. But she had an issue with insurance because it costs so much. So, very popular drug. In 2015, that drug has worldwide, people have spent $14 billion on a prescription. That is, per statistic, the, the whole economy of Jamaica. That's how much that one pill or drug profited. And give you another statistic. Let's just say you're, you're a doctor in the United Kingdom. Humira prescription will cost an average of $1,300. If you're seeing a doctor in Switzerland, 
that drug is going to cost you $822. If you're in the United States and you go see your doctor, that prescription is going to cost you $2,600. It's like twice what it costs somewhere else. Yeah. I hear a lot of times people going to Canada for prescription drugs like, like insulin because it's like almost a third of the cost, which is, which is ridiculous. And the reason being is for those countries, the person that negotiates the price of these drugs is the government. There's one body that negotiates the price for everybody compared to here where, you know, insurance negotiate and, you know, you get positives and negatives with, with certain companies. And a lot of people argue that, a lot of these companies argue that we pay a premium so other countries can have a less cost, which I, I find is, is complete bullshit because after a certain amount of years, you know, you're taking all the profits. So that, that argument is complete, completely ridiculous. And people are pushing for, you know, um, globalism and equal economies all around, like how is this fair? It's really not fair. It isn't. And the topic of is if, is there regulations on prescription costs? And in unfortunately, United States, um, that is one of those ex- one of those things where we do not regulate drug prices. If a new prescription comes out, it's considered safe. Boom, it's on the market. Um, compared to other countries, let's just say Australia or something, so they actually have a government that will meet up with this pharmaceutical company and they're going to compare prices. They're going to negotiate them. They're going to first see whether it's even worth bringing out to the market. They're going to compare other treatments and see whether it's more effective. Because what's the point of bringing a drug to the market in Australia What if it's not any better than it already is? Like right. Australia literally, I think, um, refuses half the cancer drugs that are in the United States because they don't see it being any effective. Yeah. And the United States is the only one that the drug makers are setting their own costs. So if you're in Australia, you're negotiating, the government is negotiating the price of drugs. They set a price, that's it. In the United States, there isn't a government regulatory to negotiate any pricing on prescription pills. What happens is the drug company sets the price, then they then they negotiate between insurance companies. That's crazy. So different insurance companies are going to have a different set point of um, the price of specific prescription pills. Right. You're not even picking the, the drugs you want to take or or the brands. No one ever presents you like, hey, these are four blood thinners. This is the price for each of them. Which one do you like? Here are the, the, this is the cost analysis. These are the pros. These are the cons. You can choose. No one says that. Is your doctor going to give you whatever, you know, the insurance uh, negotiated with the, with the company? You know, if an uh, insurance company gets a better deal with Zeralto, you're going to be on Zeralto versus Coumadin. It's just how it works. It's crazy. You don't see any of this. And you don't know whether that pill is more effective or not. It's just what your insurance has negotiated. That's that's a true window. Right, using. what it covers. What it covers. So that that's one corrupt system we have to fix. We have to make sure our healthcare system is more regulated by the United States government where the United States government is freaking talking to these pharmaceutical companies or negotiating prices, just like in other countries like United Kingdom, Switzerland, Australia. Not freaking free reign in America, and they could do whatever they want. Right. And unfortunately, we have lobbyists, which you know these pharmaceutical companies are paying millions, billions of dollars to sway things their way to make sure things are the way they are here because they're freaking making tons of money. Yeah, yeah. Think about it. lobbyists are, are are very strong. Like the reason why cigarettes still exist is just just lobbyists. That's the reason why cigarettes have been shown to be healthier or produce no harm in the past. Just lobbyists, just because. They were able to to sway, you know, um, 
people that are, that are in Congress or in the Senate or House of Representatives, they're able to swear their opinion. They did it for decades yeah. before we finally said, hey, we need some freaking labels, man. Yeah, that's how it works. And let's go into the next topic, which is how much does the hospital pay for these prescription pills? And that's interesting because not only are these pharmaceutical companies making money off us, there's also the hospital that has to make some kind of profit, right? So how does that work? Um, there was a study performed by the Moran Company, commissioned by the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturer of America, and they compared 20 different brand brand drugs, um, compared costs, and just to kind of see what is the price. So the markup on drugs was nearly 487%, the study showed. So the hospital gets the drug for this much, they mark it up 487%, and then everything is left in negotiation with the insurances. Um, I don't want to get into the statistics of what they use, but they used cost per unit data. They used um, hospital charge per claim, and they did all the statistics. And the results were that the markup was up to 2.5 times more than what the drug actually costs. So not only is the pharmaceutical company making some money, the hospital's profit profiting on average based on the study 2.5 times. Yeah, that's insane. Like all these negotiations are are done with any of your of your personal input, these prices are set for you, and this is what, what you gotta pay. No negotiation. This is just how it works, and it's crazy. You can't choose what kind of medication you want. You have literally no room for any kind of any kind of opinion. You can say you want to go on this floor, or you want to go on this hospital. You don't see how much anything's gonna cost. You just get one lump sum bundle once you leave the hospital. And especially like you're an uneducated person, like you know we're nurses in the healthcare system. You don't know. What pill could be better? What you know, like we described, um, Coumadin is like fifteen dollars compared to a Zarelto. They're both blood thinners, but that one is like four hundred dollars a pill. Yeah. You don't know that maybe Coumadin is a little bit better because it's safer. You could reverse the drug compared to a Zarelto. If you get a brain bleed, you're just bleeding out till the drug you know leaves the system. Yeah. And we don't know that, but the doctor just says, "Hey, take this." We this, trust we trust the doctor and we just do it. Right. This is what we negotiated the hospital and, and the pharmaceutical company, and then this is what your ins- insurance covers. This is what you got to take. So you take this, or you pay fully out of pocket for someone that you want. And there's no, no room for opinion. And then these a lot of these doctors, you know, it's all marketing ploy sometimes as well. So peop- these pharmaceutical companies will dump large sums of money into marketing just so they could prove their point or get their point across without. Um, much like factual information like i was on reddit one day and it was a reddit post that like what surprised you the most when you first came to the united states and a lot of them said that there's pharmaceutical ads you know on, on tv in the united states and that's crazy because they don't have them anywhere else in the world they have them here because they could pay for marketing and that marketing reason brings them profit because they could they could sway your opinion and that's crazy to think about we have, yeah, I th- we're the only country that has ads on pills. Yeah. And we become very dependent if you, like, look at patients sometimes. Like, dude, they will not go to sleep unless they get their little sleeping pill. Like, um, not melatonin, what's the other one? Ambien. Ambien. Like, they will not fall asleep, man. They've became so used to it that they need it. And literally, if you look at the big picture, we're, we're a pill-popping freaking uh country man right and it's crazy thing about something like insulin where there was a big issue about it being upcharged and and just sold for a lot of times a vast amount of profit where people are people have to come to that state where they're willing to put profits over human lives like you said before people are rationalizing ration rationing insulin because they don't have enough 
know, they're, they save it because they could either give four units today and not know what's going to happen tomorrow, or they could give two today, have a little bit of coverage, and then two tomorrow to have a little bit of coverage, which is, which is crazy. Not knowing the repercussions yeah. because they're not doctors. Yeah. That's the way healthcare works here. And to summarize things, like there isn't a perfect solution for this, but we have to, we have to basically admit the problem that healthcare is a business. There's a lot of issues in America that is basically pointing to that our healthcare system is not the best. We have to start taking healthcare more seriously. We have to pass legislations that are going to allow for better healthcare coverage for everybody, right? And we have to start tackling these pharmaceutical companies, which have deep pockets in our politicians that are not allowing a government to regulate the prices, and they create their own prices. Yeah, we've had a private healthcare system and pharmaceutical company for centuries now. Clearly, centuries is like a lot of hundreds of years, bro. That, that decades, decades, decades. Damn. Well, maybe it's been centuries. I don't know how long it's been. Probably not, but go ahead. We'll, we'll go with decades. So we've had private healthcare multiplayer system for, for decades now, and it clearly is not working. You know, prices are inflated. People are, are getting charged a vast amount of money, and they they can't afford it. Why keep trying to fix a bro- fix a broken system when you could maybe try a different alternative and maybe that that'll work a lot better? It's working for a certain certain country, but it can't work for us. We're in the United States. You know, we could figure it out. We can't figure out this system because it's just such a for profit system. Yeah. But I believe a, a one player system would probably benefit the majority of the United States. And that's that's going to be a whole approach. We have to make sure our politicians are not getting paid by these pharmaceutical companies that are keeping these players in play, man. And we need some ratification, man. We need a reform. We just like with um, for example, gay rights, man. It wasn't you know it wasn't popularized back in the day. People marched on the streets, protested, and things happened, man. And maybe we just have to get together and protest. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Election coming up next year, so let's see how it goes. Whoever listened this long, guys, drop a comment. You guys are troopers. You guys probably learned a lot about the healthcare system. You guys basically I'm sweating over here. So yeah, you guys could probably just tell your friends and just expose the system of what's going on. It sucks. It's a real deal, and we hope that you guys learned something. Stay tuned next week. Like I said, subscribe and keep on hanging out with us. See you guys next week. Have a good one, guys.